You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. And I began with my story. I told them that I have accent, number one, and I also have a chemo, I mean a chemo brain. You know, that makes me to forget some things at some point in the course of, you know, running daily life. You know, sometimes the brain gets to be dull. It gets, you know, like... I mean, you are not just who you should be. I mean, so, today, we have spoken about the promise. And what is the promise? The promise is that God has promised everyone salvation. God has promised everyone of us salvation. But it's not just the promise that matters. He promised salvation to men, but men sometimes drag their feet. We don't just want to go for the salvation. And I gave them an example of, um, you know, you having children. You have children and you may say, this is your desire for your children. But they may not want to have what you think they should have. Sometimes it takes, you know, real persuasion. You may need to persuade them so well, so much, before they get to get to terms with what you're asking them to, to want to have. And today... We shall be looking at the risk involved in, you know, taking our salvation home or claiming the salvation that belongs to us. And I like to take, you know, um, Jesus' words in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Here, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and daily follow me. We have salvation that is ours to take. About a good number of times we run away from this salvation because of other attractions. You know, other offers the devil is giving is making to us. Now, so there are risks that go with the gospel in its admittance, when you admit the gospel, when you, you know, accept the Christian faith, there's a risk involved. There is also a risk in the practice. When you attempt to leave it, there's a lot of risk that go along with it. And when you attempt to spread the gospel or to propagate it, you know, you run into risk of every kind. It's not as easy. Now, but Jesus is here telling us that if we have to go with him. We must be ready for those risks. We must be ready to take the risk that is involved. Alright, so these, by Jesus' assertion, are personal to the individual. I have to take personal risk. You have to take a personal risk. Now, I gave an example of um, the missionaries that came to Nigeria, you know, they were all the way from England. The CMS who brought Christianity was Christianity was in Nigeria. All the way came from England, and they risked their lives to be there. Some of them didn't survive it. They go to Nigeria and never got back to England. They died as a result of you know mosquito bites, you know bad water, and some wild human beings even attacked them and killed some of them. But they were made up and they went. 
So Jesus, you know, is saying that if I have to take this risk to have my salvation, it has to be a personal risk. It's not a collective one. All of us here will be saved on an individual basis. No one is going to be saved as a family. My being a bishop may not give me salvation at all. I need to personally believe in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have to believe in him as my Lord and Savior. Accept it. And then daily carry my cross and go after him wherever he goes, wherever he sends me. In other words, I will go on his errands in my office. I will represent Jesus there. In the marketplace or business premises where we practice our businesses, I would also represent Jesus there. In my life, in my attitude towards people, in my decision making, in my discussions with people around, you know, I have to be like Jesus. Now, in our world today, where people are not too comfortable with the presence of Jesus, you know, it may, it may be very, very dangerous for you and I to want to be like Jesus just anywhere, anytime. Alright, so, but it is needful because I need to walk, you know, for my salvation. It's been given to me. But I have to walk on to ensure that this salvation becomes mine at the end of the day. Now, so if anyone come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. We are by professing when we, all of us here are seated by professing that we are Christians, are saying that we are going with Jesus every day. That we are willing to go with Jesus anywhere. That we are willing to go with him just whenever he calls. Or wherever he leads, we will be willing to go with him. And Jesus is here talking to his disciples and he said, It has to be a personal decision to come after me or follow or go with me wherever I am going. In Nigeria we have a chorus and the chorus, you know, we sing it and I may sing it for you here. Um, I'm not a very good singer anyway. <laughs> Let me confess that, you know, but some time ago when I was, when I, you know, God gave me a song and I tried to sing for my wife, she said, look, you know, your, your voice is so bad. I mean, it's so good. <laughs> Our voice is so bad, it's not good, you, you know, you shouldn't sing. So, she discouraged me from singing to her. <laughs> and so we have this chorus in Nigeria and it says, I must go with Jesus anywhere, anywhere, no matter the roughness of the road, I must go, I must go. I must go with Jesus anywhere, anywhere, no matter the roughness of the road. I must go, I must, I must go, I must go with Jesus anywhere, anywhere, no matter the roughness of the road. I must go, I must go. Okay, so we sing that song. While in Nigeria, indeed the road of the Christian journey is very it's not just rugged, you know. I mean, it's not only ruggedly rough, but tough and dangerous. Very dangerous. The road of Christianity in Nigeria is really ruggedly rough. 
and equally dangerous. So on a daily basis, you have to choose which way to take. You think of your safety in our context. Physical safety. You are so sure that, yes, sometimes, this, someday, this life will be no more. We will die someday. And so, you know, in view of the situation we live in and operate in our country, we know that this death could come by the burial of an AK-47, which has killed so many of the Christians in Nigeria, some machete, some sword, some knife blades, you know, by men who don't think you should exist because of your faith. Alright? Now, so, if we don't die by this means, by this, you know, human um, created, manufactured weapons, we'll die anyway. Everyone will die. Last week I was telling, I mean, a week before last, I was telling, you know, the class that sometimes it's like we just want to live in a safe place. You want to have a spouse that is safe to live with. You want to have a family that is safe to live with. You want to have a country that is safe to live in. You want to have, you know, maybe a country that is safe to live in. So we live and live long. What are we living long for? Just so we can live long. Are you living long because you sincerely would want to perfect the matter of your salvation? The issue of your life eternal after now. Is that why you and I will desire to live long? Or do we just want to live long? So it is, um, you know, written that um, maybe David lived 150 years. Right? When David is no more, he lived 150 years. So what? We have seen people who lived in the Bible 900 and something years and didn't amount to nothing at the end of the day. Should we live long? Because we want to perfect our eternal living with Christ. Is that a reason? Is that a reason? I think there's grace in it. Those who know, you know, what grace is all about, know that the longer you live, the better should be your relationship with God because you want to, to be with Him eternally at the end of the day. That's your desire. That someday, this life will be over. And then, life will continue again. And that is going to be an eternal one. It's a life that will not finish. And there are two places, by what the Bible tells us, where this life could be. Either in eternity with Christ, or in some hell fire with the, the devil and Satan and his cohorts. Where all you'll be doing there is crying and gnashing your teeth. No peace of any kind. Now, so, it is either now, you know, that one could die now, or later. But for what cause? What cause? What cause will I die? How would I die? Alright? Would you die for the cause of Christ? What is life for the American Christian like? In Nigeria, yes, I've told you what we live and pass through every day. But what's life for you in America like? What's life for the Christian in America like? Is there any threat to your life? Do you live under any threat like we live? A physical threat like we live? 
you know, it's it's not very common. It's not commonplace. Yes, once I mean, I, you know, every now and then we see someone shooting people, you know, and killing people. But in our context, it's like a daily experience. Almost every day, somebody is killed, and a good number of times because of their faith. In our own context, all right. Now, if you live in a so peaceful setting. You live in so comfortable a setting. You live, you know, in a situation of so much around you in terms of security, in terms of, you know, um, comfort of life. You know, in terms of maybe what to eat and drink every now and then. It is, it is not common in our context to see people, you know, <laughs> that after church you have some tea to take. It's not, it's not just common. You either have one to take at home, or you don't have nothing to take at all. You come to church. Yeah, all that brings you to church is to listen to the word of God. Now, so if there could be any threat to your own life right now, what could it be? Are you willing to deal the consequences of such a threat to your life for the sake of Jesus Christ? And for the sake of your salvation at the end of the day? Are you ready to go with Jesus? Because you have an eternal life to risk in everything you do. If you choose otherwise, certainly. You know, I mean, I can't be a Christian and do not have a reason for being a Christian. Why am I a Christian? Just to pass through this life and be gone? No. The Christian hope is beyond this life. Right? If our faith will just settle us down in this part of the world, then we are worse than, you know, even the infidel. Because we should have a hope that is beyond this life. Jesus said, I, you must deny yourself, I must deny myself. Are we there? You must deny yourself. And we know that self-denial is not easy. Because it means there are a good number of things that everyone else in the world does that you shouldn't do. That's what self-denial is all about. It is better said than done sometimes. We could claim that we could deny ourselves, okay? From the example of the disciples and especially of Simon Peter, we know this. Peter had said when Jesus predicted his denial that even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. That's what Peter had told Jesus, right? I never will. Alright? And he went further to say, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Matthew 26, 33 and 35. Right? Now, Peter had I mean, publicly loudly shouted out his commitment to Jesus. But in it, Jesus had seen a denial embedded. Jesus saw in what Peter was seeing, I mean, are saying, an embedded denial. Enshrined in what these statements were denial which will shortly manifest. Not too long from, you know, 
he the time was professing what he was saying. Now, so we know that we are more like shifting shadows, changing at will. The human mind, you know, we quickly get distracted and change our mind over issues. That's the way we are. Alright, so, I mean, in the words of James 1.17, we are like shifting shadows. God is not like that. Jesus would say what he would say and stand by what he says. Alright? Now, so we say one thing now and doing a different thing entirely when it comes to the action. That's the tendency with human beings. We easily give our words but never own up when it comes to, you know, demonstrating the words in action to show commitment. That's the way we are. We can be generous in giving our words, but very stingy when it comes to giving our commitment. That's, that is the tendency with human beings. Now, so we, you don't just say it. When you say it, mean it. You know, while I'm here, you know, you know, the, the while I've been here, I got to understand that sometimes um, you people in this side of America can say things you may not really mean. You know, what can I do for you? And what way can I help you? You know, and then someone is just saying that. You don't say that in Nigeria and think someone will just hear you and think you don't mean it. Every time you tell a Nigerian, what can I do for you? How can I help you? They take it serious. It means you will be willing to help them. And they could tell you just anything that is their burden. Can you give me a thousand dollars? All right, for example, one thousand dollars. All right. And so, brothers and sisters, self-denial is a difficult thing. All right. It's a very difficult thing to do. Maybe you have a car and nothing is wrong with the car. And you see another car again and you need the car. Not just because, I mean, not just you, need, you want the car, not you, that you need it. And then you are battling between the Holy Spirit and the flesh. The flesh is saying, go for this car. The Holy Spirit is saying, you don't need this car. What you bow down to at the end of the day determines, you know, tells a lot about who I am in Christ. If the Holy Spirit takes over, yes, then I would have denied myself. But if the flesh, you know, takes, I mean, I takes the day, then it means then that I have failed in self-denial. Or that there are opportunities in life, and you, it's not as if you are so desperate about that. You have other things that you are doing, and you are, you are, you are, you are properly engaged doing those things. And then there are others who don't, who really don't have. You still go for it. And then you deny them the privilege of having that opportunity. While they should have, you know, because they don't have any, you are leaving one to go for another. Self-denial. Oh, you know, a lot of food around you. <laughs> and, um, or little food in your hands, rather. All right? And someone is needy. Can you just give it to them? Self-denial. All right? Now, so, in other words, we will have to deny ourselves the pleasures that we are used to. 
There are things in our lives that are not as important as salvation. But sometimes we take more of our time, you know, than the issues of salvation. We spend hours upon hours, maybe watching football, right? Hours watching football. Very little time to pray, to pray, and very little time to read the Bible. That's what we do. Many hours watching football. In Nigeria, it's a big issue. Soccer, very big issue. You know, in fact, it's so bad that sometimes they even fight over teams that don't even know them. They watch them on the screen. European League. They're in Nigeria. None of those players know them, but they're fighting over them. Spend time, hours, you know, just looking at watching those kind of um, things. And uh, so, if you, if I report in time, you say, look, this is, I'm done with this. I don't want to watch any more soccer. So I can watch more of God's word. Let me look at God. <laughs> you know, let me read the word of God. Let me pray more than watching soccer. I mean, that's self-denial. You would have denied yourself watching soccer. Alright? I mean, so, a number of things. So, to deny ourselves entails deliberately keeping a distance from sin and all the baits, the enticing but deadly offers that Satan daily throws at us to have us hooked for destruction. We should be as wise as serpent but as gentle as a dove to dictate Satan's attacks by his great repenting. Because he's, a, he's very great at repenting things. All right, He has great repenting ability. He is an expert at faking recording and rebranding the original, making it look good, yet highly baited and deadly. He said to Eve, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Genesis 3, 4. Equality with God is what Jesus would not count worthy of grasping. Philippians 2.6 But here is Satan telling Adam and Eve that if you eat of this fruit, you will be like God. In other words, you will be equal to God. You will know good and you will know evil. But Jesus will not go for that. He rather would deny himself all of the privileges of heaven to come down to earth to be a man like you and I and to be a servant and to go over to the cross to die for your sake and my sake. Alright? Now this is proved. Jesus will not go for it because Jesus would not yield even to the temptation of the devil. If you go back to Matthew 4, 1 following, you'll notice that immediately after Jesus had come from fasting 40 days, 40 nights, who welcomed him? The devil. You know, Satan welcomed him with three temptations, very good temptations, that any one of you and I could easily have fallen into. Right? But Jesus triumphed over it, and uh, he turned victorious at the end of the day. So the devil uses categorization and justification of sin to deceive us into risking our salvation. He meets to you that this is a small sin. You do it, it's just a small sin. 
Alright? This is a small and not a harmful sin at all to anybody. It's a small pride. Any small pride that is not checked can become a big pride tomorrow. It's a small, you know, act of immorality is just once. Once, if not checked, will multiply. You will go on and on. It's an act, you know, after all, you are hungry and you are needy. That's why you stop. Is it a reason to steal? Is hunger a reason to steal? Is it a justifiable reason to steal? Alright? It is business while in the actual sense you are cheating somebody. Satan tells you it's business. You are busy cheating. But Satan tells you while you're doing is business. Alright? So this little will do you no harm, that's what the devil tells you, Satan tells you. If it does not do you harm now, dear brothers and sisters, it will certainly greatly harm us and irreparably so and the, at the end of our lives. If we do not check and put a control to anything that comes into our lives in the way of sin, gradually it will steal our salvation. It will, it's a great risk to our salvation. Living sinful lives, it's a very great risk to my life and your life eternally. All right? Now, so we must be people who are up to checking every now and then. For example, you know, moths eat in bits, but eventually destroy. Dust settles gradually, but slow and steady it accumulates and devalues whatever property it accumulates on. Rust begins on a spot, a single spot, but gradually spreads, covers everywhere, and have the product rusted and destroyed. Samson, for example, began his sexual exploit from one woman. While he couldn't control himself, neither could he be controlled by his parents. It ruined him in the end. The brothers of Joseph began by hating Joseph and eventually sold him into slavery. Peter began with one. Peter the apostle began with one denial and the number rose to three. So, when we build and justify sin, it multiplies and we risk our salvation. We risk our salvation by dwelling in it without seeking a way out until the end of our lives. When you keep on sinning, suddenly you deny yourself salvation at the end of the day. Anyone who is in Christ cannot live a life of sin again. Alright? I mean that a life of sin is that which is your life, friends. It's not the occasion, occasional sinning. Now, all of us are fallible, and once in a while or two, you know, sometimes you do the wrong. But someone who lives for sin is someone who thinks nothing righteous but everything evil and wicked all the time. They are just people who pursue sinful life every now and then. That's a sinner. Now, so if we, who are called by the name of Christ, must live and live differently, then we shouldn't live a life of sin every now and then. When people experience you and I in the public square, what do they see? What do they feel? What do they encounter in me and you? Alright, so we risk our salvation when we blindly take from Satan his uh, presentation of the sin of the best biblical models or best Christians 
and models of Christianity in our own time. You know, sometimes the devil will just point you to somebody in the Bible uh, that, what about this man? Just to compare him and to help you, you know, plunge into sin more and more. What about this guy? He did this, and yet, that's the way he ended, you know. What about that other person? What about, you know, I mean, keep pointing you to individuals, maybe Christians, people who have, you have seen as models, but yet for some reason have um, gone into sin at some point in the course of their lives. That's what the devil does with us. He could erase those models just to give us reason to live on in sin. Now, so without opening our eyes to the pains and the sorrows, the tears and sighs, the grounds, I mean, the grounds and the soul humbling and repentances that these people had also had to go through. Alright? For so many a Christian who have fallen have equally been gripped by sorrow and have bitterly wept and repented of their sins. And this is what Satan will not tell you. He will never tell you that these people sinned, but they also wept bitterly. That they groaned, that they sighed, or that they sincerely were in ashes and dust because of what they did and regretted doing it. All right. So, but he will always magnify their sins and their failures before you. Something, for example, seemed to have been unrepentantly sexually immoral. But his last prayer speaks volume of a man who remained trusting in God even to the end of his life. Hear him pray. Oh God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray. Just this once, oh God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. Judges 16.28 And indeed God answered him. Did he not take vengeance on the Philistines that once from the biblical records? Samson had the opportunity. God answered his prayers. So was David thrown into dust and ashes after his sin of adultery with Bathsheba. Hezekiah and his, you know, prideful disposition had a record of tearful presentation to God of his work with God. Job came down on his knees after his impatience, confessing to God, saying, my ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. So also was Noah, a hero of righteousness, despite you know, his record of drunkenness. And Peter wept bitterly when the cock crowed and Jesus' predictions of his denial had come true. Matthew 26, 75. Now, so... What is it that is threatening your salvation? What is it that is threatening my salvation? Do I really know what is a threat to my salvation? Do you know what is threatening your salvation? Some, what is it? Is it a small unfaithfulness? Is some small lies? Some small lusts? Some small cheating? Some small immorality? Small pride? Some small greed and self-centeredness. Just, you know, some small anything is, that is of the flesh and not of God. It's a threat to my salvation and your salvation. It could stop me from having eternal life if I continue down that road until the end of my life.
Now, so you must take your cross daily and follow after Jesus. Taking a cross daily is not an easy nor a fashionable engagement. It is especially so that in those days, it was um, linked with criminals. But we will not today literally carry cross, any cross, yet in and through you and me, in our hearts, we must carry one cross daily, a cross that is ours daily. In our practices and in our daily living, we must be ready to face a daily crucifixion because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Our minds must be made up to behave like the, unlike the world. We must make our minds to behave unlike the world in our offices, in our businesses, in our families, by our decisions and choices, even when we are opposed, rejected, and persecuted by men around us. The cross is a symbol of self-denial. It is a symbol, it is a symbol of sacrifice and selflessness. It is a symbol of the future of your personal rights. And Christ in you is the cross. Jesus Christ living in me and you is the cross. He marks the cross, it marks us out, the cross marks us out as being children of God, as being Christians. They did not mark Jesus out as the sacrificial lamb and the savior of the world. If Jesus did not carry the cross, how would we have known he was Jesus or he is Jesus? All right? It marked him out as a sacrificial lamb. He, was, he took it to be sacrificed on it himself. It's like, you know, picturing Abraham and uh, his son Isaac, you know, Isaac carrying the wood that he was going to be roasted by at the end of the day. All right? Now, so, the cross is very needful in our life. Was it not from the cross that... Jesus gave salvation to the thief built to be perished or built to perish just on that cross he was right there on the cross when he gave salvation to the thief to his um, right hand side right was it not from that uh, from the cross that he pleaded the case of those who crucified him when he said to his father father forgive them for they know not what they are doing Luke 23:34 was it not from the cross that he opened to us a new and a living way to accessing the Father. Hebrews 10.20 This he did when the curtain, you know, blocking our access um, to the King of Kings, our King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, was torn into two from top to bottom by the records of Matthew 27 and 51. Thus, when that happened, you and I now can have direct... That's why we can pray and pray to God directly. The curtain has been, the, I mean, the curtain has been drawn. I mean, are torn from top to bottom. So we now have free access to the Father who is in heaven. We can pray to him and he can respond to our prayers. Was it not for me that his blood poured out to wash your sins and mine? When you do not carry your cross daily and follow Jesus Christ... You risk losing your salvation. I risk losing my salvation. In other words, when Jesus is not in control of my life, and he does not detail my life by everything I intend to do and I do, 
I risk my salvation at the end of the day. The life of the Christian cannot sincerely live and live as a Christian without Christ in it. He must be there to control, he must be there to detail, he must be there to tell us exactly what to do. And doing it in obedience guarantees our salvation at the end of the day because it will keep us in tune with him, working with him every now and then. Uh, you know, because someone else, if Jesus is not in control, someone else or something else will be in control, certainly. Once Jesus is not in control of my life and your life, something else or someone else, the devil or some, you know, some something else will be controlling it. They'll be telling you what to do. They'll be directing you on what ways, I mean, uh, what, what directions to take in life. And this, most often than not, the one to detail it other than Christ is the thief, right? Who comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy? That is Satan himself. He is the thief. What is the implication of the daily cross carrying for you and I? Especially you, the American Christian. Would you for Christ's sake daily represent the way, the truth, and the life in the public square? Would righteousness for Christ's sake be our hallmark, no matter whose ox is God? Can we still return, leave out, and thus project our faith before men, even when that will attract persecution to us? You could risk your salvation because of wealth. The security it tends to give, and the comfort and pleasure it offers. These have the potential to distract one's focus on Jesus and the faith you have in him. For Jesus said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Luke 18, 24 and 25. Brothers and sisters, have we denied ourselves? Have I denied myself? Have you denied yourself? Are you daily with your cruise on your shoulder? As you go about living on a daily basis, is the cross on your shoulder daily? By your virtues and character, do you daily follow Jesus? When my character is read into, when it is sin, when it is open, you know, or I mean by, by the values I live for, do they speak the fact that I follow Jesus daily? Let us remember that not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Alright, be saved. But only he that does the will of my Father who is in heaven, that he alone will enter into heaven. And Augustine, the church father says, you have met us your own, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. I pray that none of us will risk our salvation out of church, out of choice. May we choose wisely Choose to go on with Christ. Choose to really walk out our salvation with fear and trembling in the words of Paul, right? 
So that at the end of the day, by the time this life is over, which will, it's certain to come, we can rest with Christ and rest eternally with Him. Thank you for listening to me. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.